0: The following episode of Geeks and Beats contains language or subject matter that may be unsuitable for children. Listener discretion is advised. All right, let's make sure the thing's recording. Are you recording on your end? I am
1: recording
2: on my end. I've got uh, five seconds elapsed so far.
1: All right, awesome. how you doing?
2: I'm uh, just descaling the coffee maker.
1: <laughs> so another exciting <laughs> night in the cross household.
2: Yes, yes it is. It takes a long time for the uh, for the Seiko to get descaled. Uh, I did not have any CLR, so I'm using vinegar. It seems to be working fine, but I've been at it for the last thirty five minutes. This thing doesn't seem to want to cycle through. So.
1: And now your entire house smells like a potato chip factory. It does. As
2: a matter of fact, it really stinks.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, stand by, Here we go.
0: live from studio 3b now with 1.2 billion subscribers on itunes spotify and geocities this is the world's most popular podcast with alan cross and michael hainsworth featuring musical guest sting you to
2: our live and location show in Toronto.
1: We'll be broadcasting live from Black Lab Brewing Friday, August 23rd at 7 p.m. And it is a dog-friendly place, so I am bringing my dog. (laughs) Fifty years
2: ago this summer, the bubblegum pop era crowned its new king. His name was Andy Kim, and the song was...
1: Sugar Sugar. We'll speak to the legendary songwriter for the Archies about his early days as a wide-eyed Canadian making his way in the American music industry.
0: And now, ladies and gentlemen, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth.
1: Here's the thing, my friends, we've got the big live on location show coming up. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the, f- one of my favorite things that I'm looking forward to is bringing on the music producer, Brent Bodrug to break down a song like he's done in the past. He did a great one with Rosanna not too long ago. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of fun with that and a bunch of others. And so on our Twitter feed, we put it to the listenership. With the live show coming up quick, we need your opinion. What song should we break down? Should it be A, Take On Me by A-Ha? Uh-huh? That's gotta be you. B, yeah, it's definitely me. B, this one's yours. Smells Like Teen Spirit by Nirvana. Does it show? Yeah. Number three was our ace producer, Vanessa Azoli's choice, and she's standing by it. Elton John's Tiny Dancer.
3: Oh, because of time.
2: that come through and i thought really vanessa really but okay it's up to brent he'll pick one
1: no the audience will pick one and i'm telling you this we are recording with one day left
2: in what on the vote oh right now oh i see okay
1: so by the time this episode airs the decision will have already been made and for the longest time tiny dancer was out front and now it's starting to sound like a horse race. Up front, Tiny Dancer, followed by Spells Like Teen Spirit and Take On Me. But Take On Me has pulled ahead and with 39% of the vote is presently in the lead. No kidding. What's wrong with our people? <laughs> hey! <laughs> Somebody pointed out Craig Aitken said, uh, not the Tony Danza song. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Although, you <laughs> now that you mention it, that'd be funnier. I think you're right. Uh, so, I have a feeling that uh, while I was really stressed out at the beginning, I, I called in favors from my Gen X followers on Twitter to say, listen, we can't let this tiny dancer thing happen. It's got to be the epitome of the 1980s. Aha. Uh-huh. All right, hang on, I'm going to no, start. No, don't you, don't you, oh, just, I knew if I said something. You said something, well, what? what is you that? You retweet it, and then it'd be like smells, it's going to be smells like teen spirit, guaranteed. I,
2: I, I don't know, do we? Uh, do we? But we're only going to find out if I do it. We we are scientists on this one. <laughs> <thing. laughs>
1: and if, uh, okay, here we go.
2: So okay, we've got a okay. big
1: tech check at uh, the big, we got the big tech check coming up at Black Lab Brewing mm-hmm. on Tuesday in advance of the big Friday, August 23rd live show. We're going to be testing out a whole bunch of things to make sure that everything's going to be copacetic, including uh, the update desk. We've got Brittle Star joining us from the Geeks and Beats CES 2020 GoFundMe campaign update desk hmm. Because he was with us for the big live on location show last year, which was lo- the location was my back deck. Uh, I didn't want to make the poor son of a bitch drive all the way in from Stratford, Ontario again for like two hours to come do the show and then have to drive home in the dead of night. So he said, I have an idea. Let's do the update desk from your house with a green screen. So now the question becomes, what do we put in the background? Oh, God, I don't know. Um... I was thinking like some 1970s telethon style, you know, do it for Jerry's kids kind of if thing. If
2: we could find something <laughs> from one of Jerry's telephones, that'd be
1: great. <laughs> and we have no idea what he's going to do, what he's going to say. He's just going to show up. And participate in the big show. And now, live from the SCTV studios in downtown Mellonville, the first annual SCTV
2: Solid Gold Telethon, with a solid gold array of local and regional guest stars. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the 24 karat host of the SCTV Solid Gold Telethon,
0: Sammy Marlin. Thank
1: you. If I could get serious for just a moment... As most
3: of you may or may not know, this telethon is for a very worthy cause, SCTV.
1: You know who I'm super excited to talk to, set aside it being Ed the Sock, who couldn't make it last year and who's going to be here this year. I'm really looking forward to your Jays Stadium announcer and live stream voice of God, Tim Langton. Yes.
3: And now, the starting lineup for your Toronto with Jays, managed by Charlie Monturio.
2: It's going to be really cool to have somebody of
1: that caliber actually being our in-studio voice. I'm fascinated by his line of work. Because like we we've all you, we've all you and I have both been in a turn on a microphone, speak to a large group kind of scenario, mm-hmm. but I've never actually had every single listener respond as mm-hmm. I'm speaking, and I could hear them.
2: No, I I knew uh, or I know Andy Frost, who used to be the PA guy at the Toronto Maple Leaf games, and I would go up in the booth with him sometimes as he was doing a, his thing on a game, and it was wild to see the reaction he would get based on. His intonation, his, um, his his level of excitement, and, and what he had to say—it's it, really cool. It really is. It just give you—it it has to. We can talk to him about this. It has to give, be intoxicating, give you some sense of, of power, especially a sold out Jays game. I mean, you got fifty thousand people
1: that are roaring along to whatever it is that you say, even if it's the most innocuous thing. Exactly. So the other question I've got is, what do you do for a living when you're not doing the Jays thing? Like I don't understand how that world works at all. Is is that enough to be the only thing he does? Does he do voice work for commercials and things like that? Like, it'll be interesting to, to take apart what's going on in that man's world as well. But of course, Ed the Sock is going to be on the big show. And I'm a little concerned. Why is that? Well, because this is the Take Us to CES 2020 fundraising show. So the topics are all going to be CES specific. So of course we have to talk about autonomous vehicles and we have to talk about, and this is where I get a little concerned about bringing on Ed the sock. You're going to want to talk sex bots. I probably
2: will. We, we always drift over to that topic. So why are you even, even bringing it
1: up? Well, Ed, Ed, Ed's, I've, I've seen Ed's night party on the city TV in the past. Like this man was a staple of Canadian television in the 1990s uh, and into the 2000s, and uh, not exactly known for his um, subtlety subtlety when it comes to um, scantily clad women and sex related topics. Mm-hmm. So I, I I have a feeling that there's going to have to be a yin yang kind of thing here. Well, and and I, I have a feeling you're not going to play the role of yang. No, I'm not. I'm going to be,
2: I'm going to have some very serious questions for Ed simply because uh, this seems to be something of a shared topic, a shared interest.
1: Yes, indeed. So we'll talk about that uh, as well as a few other topics as well. We'll also look back at our coverage from 2019. What was your favorite part about CES 2019 for Geeks and Beats? I'd never been before. So the whole thing was really quite fascinating for me.
2: Uh, I didn't realize how big it was. That was the thing that impressed me the most, the sheer size of it. And the number of huge booths dedicated to companies that I'd never heard of before and were offering services that I didn't know anybody needed. For example, near where we were set up, there were all these aftermarket audio companies for cars. And I thought the aftermarket
1: uh car audio business was dead but no it's not i really got a kick out of going to that cannabis cultivation company oh i forgot we did that that's right (laughs) you forgot we did that (laughs) yeah i I forgot we did that and then uh there
2: was the experimentation that happened afterwards where um what was that the the liquid
1: edible that we both bought um i i will only attest to the liquid edible you bought okay and, And that you drank way too much of well no i had two sips because the
2: woman behind the counter, this, this petite little woman behind the counter says, oh, yeah, I drink a whole bottle. Nothing happens to me. Oh, okay. Yes. So I took two sips and and there was nothing, nothing going on. And then uh, about two hours into the evening, I, I had this before bed and I was waiting for something to happen. About two hours after I went to bed, it was like, whoa. Yes. Dude. sneaks up on you. <laughs> yeah, it did. And it, and it, and it, and it was hard. Uh, and we had a suite for some reason. I don't even know why. But I had a very hard time finding the bathroom because it was a good long walk from the bedroom.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's the thing about edibles is it's unlike any other form of consuming the product. It hits you at a much slower pace, and that's why they advise you to take a little bit here and there. The woman, though, as you pointed out, she had to be, you know what, five foot nothing. Yeah, 90 pounds. 90 I mean, there was pounds. nothing to it. Yeah. And she's talking about drinking an entire bottle of this stuff, which is about the size of a of a Coca-Cola can. It's about the same uh, amount. No, no, there was 250 mils in it. Oh, is that a little bit more? Uh, well, it's like one of the small Coke bottles. Right. So <laughs> did, did it be knocked on your butt from two capfuls? Yeah. Uh, it makes you wonder how much she's been drinking that stuff. No
2: kidding. And when I woke up the next morning, well, what, I had some gummies that were actually CBD gummies. And uh yeah, I but remember that doesn't make you high. Saying, no, it doesn't, but it counteracts the high. Oh. So really? I rem- <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so but the t- you know, four or five hours had passed and it was like, okay, this has just gotta stop. So I had a, a couple of the the gummies and that just sort of evened everything out. <laughs> yeah. That, well, that was that was an interesting experience for me. Everybody's looking at their at their phones or their devices or at their speakers or whatever. They're thinking, What a rookie. Yeah, I, I totally.
1: I I I am completely a rookie. So if you go to geeksandbeats.com slash live, you'll get onto all the details about our live on location show. Even if you can't join us, you'll be able to watch the thing. We won't be doing it on Facebook. We did it on Facebook last time. We got some complaints that people don't have Facebook accounts and therefore they were unable to watch. So you'll be able to watch on Twitter. You'll be able to watch on YouTube as well. So even if you don't have an account with one of those social media networks, you'll still be able to watch the show on YouTube. If you go to com slash live, that's the time that we go to air, which is 8 p.m. Eastern time, 8 to 9, and then we've got the Q&A with the audience, 9 to 10. You'll be able to watch the whole thing. Regardless, if you go to geeksandbeats.com slash live, you'll be able to see the embedded file. So even if you don't have an account with social media, you'll still be able to watch the big show. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, our GoFundMe campaign update, not to um, mow the lawn of Brittle Star, who's going to be providing these updates live for us Friday night. Bupkiss as far as an update. Still 225 bucks. Really? Yep. You got to start promoting this. This is not. Okay, well, we'll do it this week. Yep. So, uh, all district. this week, hopefully, we'll be able to move that needle so at least Brittle Star will have something to talk about.
2: Well, we want to see that go up at least by your commitment of a dollar. <laughs>
1: ago this summer, Montrealer Andy Kim packed his notepad into a bag and traveled to New York City to co-create a song that became the undisputed icon of bubblegum pop and proved that manufactured bands could be big money. He joins us now. Andy, how are you? I'm excellent. How are you? Very well. Thank you very much for joining us on the big show tonight. Well, this
3: is pretty exciting. <laughs> Hello, Alan
1: hi Andy good to see you we're here hear from you
3: again uh yes I hope all is well in in both your worlds and I'm excited that I'm around fifty years after sugar sugar I was born <laughs> uh, you know I, I
2: can I can tell you that that I remember the first time I think I heard the song and please don't please don't hate me for this I heard it because I clipped it out of the back of a cereal
3: box yes <laughs> you can you could do that back then <laughs> You know what? I was listening to um, Michael of uh, REM, and the funny thing is that he referenced that he and his sister cut it out of a cereal box as well. Mr. Titus, I you are pretty uh, pretty close that way. Me
2: me and my sister did the same thing and I think, if I'm not mistaken, it ran at 16 and two-thirds RPM.
1: Wow. How would you find a record player that would do 16 and two thirds? All the record
2: players back then, all the portable record players were four speeds, 16 and two thirds, 33 and a third, 45 and 78. Really? Yes. We had an old Silvertone that we bought at Simpson Sears and it had a 16 oh and two thirds. Yeah.
1: So Andy, what went through your mind the first time you found out that the song you wrote could be clipped off the back of a cereal box? Well, you know, it all seems
3: so unclear now, 50 years later. Uh, What was clear to me was that um, um, I was really having this wonderful ride. Um, uh, Someone referenced uh, to me recently that May 24th, 1969, Baby, I Love You, hit the uh, charts for the first time. May 24th, 1969, Sugar Sugar was released, but it didn't get on the charts for two months, because nobody wanted to play it. And so I was kind of um, the kid that that believed Lieber and Stoller and Jeff Barry and Ellie Greenwich and Phil Spector saying you're only as good as your last two minutes and 30 seconds. And I've had about three singles out by then and they kind of they kind of just stayed in the teens and never got to be top ten, etc. And here was Baby I Love You that was scheduled to eventually be my first million selling record that gave me an opportunity to really have some kind of stable life in the brill building. And Sugar Sugar, I just love that song from the first downbeat. Of writing it with Jeff, it was just one of those magical moments that I try to explain, but um, there there are no words. Ten minutes later, we have this song, and I think, I think for me, am I being too long-winded here?
2: No, no, this is great. I have some questions already, but go ahead. (laughs) As do
3: I. Okay, so, so for me. For me, um, there was really no pressure because it wasn't going to be an Andy Kim single, number one. Number two, it was not for an existing band. So there was really kind of um, no outside pressure except Don Kirshner was curious to see if, if I had a song for the Archies just the way... I'm sure he asked every songwriter on this planet if there were songs for the Archies. Okay, let's but go it back. Was just something magical about that.
2: Let's go back just a little bit. So how did you end up working in the famed Brill building? When did you get the job there
3: well i didn't I didn't really um, uh, have anything to do with the actual um, physicality of it because to tell you the truth, gentlemen i I lived in a dream bubble. The dream bubble was everything that my transistor radio played. The dream bubble was was watching television, um, American bandstand, anything that the U.S. was um, showing us in Canada, I was glued to. Let alone the fact that WKBW and WABC were strong signals for this guy in Montreal on his transistor radio. And I think the bigger part of me, as I look back, was that the disc jockeys were the the ones that kind of reeled me in Mm -hmm. because they kept talking about these artists. They kept talking about the sounds. You know if you listen to uh um some old joey reynolds um on uh in buffalo and and uh, if you listen to um cousin brucey um they they made it so they made it bigger than life
2: hi everybody all over america this is your cousin brucey it's the wabc party go go woo! Baby, don't
3: you want. Now, baby. everybody sing
2: on, go. god you're doing fine i
3: hear you there's something i miss in today's disc jockeys they're just playing you know nine in a row or whatever but i think that was the thing that that just kind of drew me in um loved music loved loved the 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 idea of being part of something that I didn't really know how to do. I knew two chords and a dream. And I showed up in the Brill Building and I wanted to meet Jeff Barry because my two older brothers um, had all the 45s. My two older brothers um, would uh, would listen to, you know, from Elvis to Buddy Holly to Roy Orbison and, and then on to the Beatles and stuff. And they all had these magazines. And I was always curious about how did this happen? I was just fascinated by the idea of what I was hearing made me so comfortable, made me happy, and made me want to live there.
1: Well tell us about that. You mentioned the, the DJs, you know, just ten years earlier or so, about nineteen fifty nine or so, you know, Alan Freed the, the DJ in New York City coined the term teenager in the first place. Yeah. You were part of a, a music machine at a time when we literally had that first demographic of kids either cutting out a record from a cereal box or going to a record store, buying vinyl and bringing it home and listening to it. And the, the Archies, if I understand correctly, was in part a response to the Monkeys. And this was, these were two bands that were virtual bands. This was uh, the beginning of an industry that recognized that there was an intense amount of money to be made targeting this new demographic called teenager. When you walked in the door of that Brill building at 23, did you get a sense of that? You
3: know, I, I had no sense of anything, to be honest with you. Just um, a
1: wide-eyed kid walking in the door.
3: Just like, okay, now, now I'll tell you, when I got off the, uh, uh, the bus on, on at Port of Authority and, and walked on to 42nd and took 8th, um, I, I I had just gone from black and white to color. Um, you, know, I'm, uh, you know, I you know I read about these these phenomenal phenomenal musicians who started playing when when they were uh, in the embryo, you know, and and they are extremely talented and all that. I came, I just you know, my road is kind of a a, a dream like road. I, I didn't know that it was not possible, so everything that I believed in was possible. I think I still do that, you know, today. But I've always believed that, that I was following something inside of me that took me to where I wanted to be. You know, I, was, I, I like to, to tell you this. I was born lucky and blessed and happy. And the days that, that filtered into where I became irrelevant to the music business, I was extremely lucky and blessed and happy. So, you know, I don't know if, if, if my life was made to be part of a dream or was just something that uh, was uh, a gift that I had that I, that I did not know that it was a gift. I mean, obviously, Jeff Barry, who was iconic in, in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, um, I, not only did he become my mentor, but he, I was his writing partner.
2: A couple of questions about the song. So you say you wrote it in 10 minutes. 10 minutes?
3: Uh, yeah. It, was, it just went by.
2: Was this song originally always for this virtual band, for Don Kirchner, or did you offer it to somebody else beforehand?
3: No, there, there's um, there. It, it makes me laugh because I've spoken um, to Mickey and Davy at one point, and uh, the monkeys, and I guess, and um, you know, they referenced the fact, and and I said, you know what? It was never a monkeys record, or song, or anything. It was, it. You know, the monkeys had kind of broken up by then. You know, it wasn't. Um, You know, I did write songs for the last album with Davy and Mickey, um, but basically um, Sugar Sugar was always intended to be part of the Archie world.
2: How did Kirchner get this song on the radio when it was a cartoon band that was ostensibly singing it? I mean, if I were a DJ in 1969 and I was presented with this virtual band, I don't care how good the song is. I would probably go. Mm, I don't know. So, how did he manage to get past those initial prejudices? Yeah, it took him two months.
3: Well, you know what? Um, I, I think that you know, um, you know, Donny had been around a while. He he had a, a phenomenal writing um, uh, base in the fact that he he published, uh, you know, probably the hits of the day coming out of the the Brill Building. Um, and an incredible entrepreneur. Um, I think um, having left the monkeys under whatever, you know, whatever reason it was that he finally left the monkeys. I think that he segued right into the uh, Archie's being on television and introducing the idea of uh, how about if they sing a song at the end of each um segment. And, and you know what? With all due respect to all of those who came after the monkeys, they didn't write their own songs. They, they were hired as four actors, not as four musicians. They were hired as actors to be, you know, kind of America's version of hard days night or something like that. Frank Sinatra never wrote a song. Barbara Streisand never wrote a song. Bing Crosby never wrote a song and Elvis, probably wrote part of a song. So I, I, I always found it funny that that criticism of any kind comes from, from an area that, that wants to diminish someone. So now we go to the Archie and, and Sugar Sugar. Nobody wanted to play it. And and I never realized the context that it was in 1969. I didn't realize the context. I was living, you know, the fact that that uh, we landed on the moon. I was living the the, the Sharon Tate murders. I was living the uh, Woodstock. Uh, um, the Beatles broke up, and they're they're performing, um, you know, on top of their building for the last time. Um, Apollo 12 took uh, a cassette of Sugar Sugar, and I was told they played it forever. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I mean, the Vietnam War was raging, obviously, and, and there was a lot of political unrest and, and uh, the consequences of 1968 with Martin Luther King and, and Robert Kennedy. It was just it was a dark moment in time. But when you're a kid, you're, you're, it, it kind of surrounds you, but you're not actually, I shouldn't say, living it. But I was, I was in that bubble of Baby, I Love You. And hey, I'm writing for the Archies. But, but nobody wanted to play it. And I think that if, if you both remember, um, there was a thing called FM. Well, it wasn't FM yet. It was underground music that became FM radio. So the, the tide was changing. I think that I came in at the last wave in 1968, 69, of the last wave of, of these uh, incredible, incredible years of, of Tin Pan Alley, the drill Building, etc.
2: And big-time AM so, radio, really powerful AM radio stations with larger-than-life DJs, something that was uh, going to be eclipsed by, by FM in the coming years.
3: Absolutely, absolutely, and and the thing is, for me, um, was the fact that that um, because I had "Baby I Love You" climbing the charts and I was touring, there was there was um, I w- was kind of filled with some success. Yet I was always curious about whatever happened to that song that that we loved, that we made a great record of, and. What really happened? Well, what basically happened is finally Don Kirshner hired an independent promotion man who went to his buddy in San Francisco on on a record meeting morning and said, Hey, man, I got a hit for you. And the guy says, Great. What is it? He says, I can't tell you. He says, Oh, come on, man. Just tell me who it is. The artist says, We can promote the artist and stuff. He says, Yeah. Yeah, well, let's have a bet. Um, I play it. If you love it, will you add it? He says, hey, man, we only play the hits on this station. And I'm paraphrasing all of this, but I I heard his first hand so many years ago. So he gave him the 45 that had a blank label on it, and every curse word you could ever think of Is on there. (laughs) So the guy puts it on, figuring, you know, this could be like rock and roll heaven. This could be like, oh, my God. And he hears this song. And I don't think for one second he thought anything other than what he said when it was finished. He says, I love this. I love it. Who is it? And the promotion guy said, it's the Archie's. And the program director said, I can't play it. And the 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 conversation ensued that was like, Hey man, you told me. I'm I'm an independent promotion. I need the job. Come on, you can't do this to me. If you thought it was hit, you gotta give me a shot. Play it once, twice, something. Play it at midnight at three o'clock in the morning. So Two minds got together and they would play it one time. And that one time caused caused outages at the radio station because people wanted to hear it again and again and again and again. And that was like lightning in a bottle and it traveled all well over the world. I don't know. I don't know how or why. I just know that there was a moment in time where... There was inspiration in the room. And then you turn around and say, what the hell was that? And I captured everything on this little Sony uh, cassette player that that I purchased um, on 48. And it had a condenser, so everything that I did sounded like a record. My guitar playing sounded like it could have been the greatest rhythm guitar player around. And my singing was kind of condensed to the point that it sounded like a record.
2: Let me ask about Ron Dante, your, your, your singer. I don't know anything about
3: Ron. Well, Ron was the voice of a group called the Cufflinks. Tracy, when I'm with you
0: Something you do Bounces me off the ceiling Tracy
1: Day after day When you're this way I get a love and
3: remember that song I don't but it was a huge record oh, I, I I, hate listening to it because it has the same response in me that should be scrapped because I, I can't hear it once there was just something magical about that song too um, and Ron Ron was um, was auditioned because because you have to understand my producer Jeff Barry um, also had a record label, and and the artist on his label that was starting to become really successful was a guy named Andy Kim, and so when Kirchner, the story goes, wanted me to be the voice of the Archies, um, there was an issue. So basically, competition against myself and all of this, and, and all of it, and all of business transactions that I have to go so they found Ron that had kind of a similar um, feeling for these songs as I did and um, I just think that his vocal on there is the best This that whole record is just magical, it really really is from beginning to end
1: Fascinating stuff, thank you so much for your insight into your time
3: I'm honored to be part of a community of guys that got together and made this record happen. And thank you for taking the time.
0: Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play, or stream us live at geeksandbeats.com. Support the show on Patreon and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for a daily dose of the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Haynesworth.